Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to open up to Luke 24. This morning we're going to... Uh, so we're one week out from Easter, and as I was thinking about this a number of weeks back, I was thinking, you know, what, what, what should we do post-Easter? And I thought, well, why don't we just preach on what happened post-Easter after Jesus rose? And, uh, and Luke 24 is an amazing chapter uh, where it talks about uh, some of the ways that Jesus uh, came and, and met his followers, and so we want to dig into that this morning. And so um, I'm going to start by reading verses 13 to 35 um, to get us going this morning. And I don't have it on the screen behind me, so if, um, either open up your Bibles or just, just listen really, really well. Um, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus, we want to simply ask that as those followers of you, their eyes were open to see you, Lord, that our eyes this morning would be opened as well to see you with greater clarity. Jesus, we ask that you would awaken us this morning, open our spiritual eyes to see more and more of you. We thank you for your word. Jesus, would it accomplish everything that you have set forth for it to do this morning. Amen. So I want to I talk this morning about encountering Jesus. How does Jesus come to his followers in these accounts? And, and in that, how does Jesus come to us? 
And so first we see here that Jesus comes and he simply asks questions. It, it, it's, so, it's so interesting, right? Because um, there, there's this, we, we learn of this guy Cleopas and, and we think that it might be the guy, that we don't know who it is with him. It, ne- it never says whether it's male or female who's with him. We, some scholars think it might have actually been his wife that was traveling with him. Um, they're, they're going along and, and they're sort of, I mean, what they're processing is, is, is it really true, right? Like, like, can we believe what we've heard about Jesus? Is, is this actually the case? And, and they seem to be operating with some level of unbelief too. I mean, as the conversation goes along, you kind of get that sense that they're not, they're not totally sure what's happening. And, and they're questioning, right? They, they, they say, the very last thing they say to Jesus there is they say, they, they did not see Jesus. They say that, you know, we've heard of this, but, but they, we did not see him. And so Jesus comes on the scene, but he doesn't identify himself. Right? Like, he, invite, he invites them to share. He invites them to process. And Jesus is inviting them to explore their hearts. And, and there's a question right, right off the, the top there for us, is, will we? If Jesus comes to us and starts asking questions, will we start to admit what's weighing on us or what's troubling us? See, see the thing is, Jesus comes right, and he says that he asks these questions. Jesus knew. J- Jesus knew everything. He knew their thoughts. I mean, Jesus could read the thoughts of men. So it's not like he's, he's we know this, that he's not coming there and actually wondering what's happening. He's, he's, he's allowing them to process what, what's happening. You know, you wonder, you wonder about that. Like, why did, why did Jesus approach it this way? When, when Cleopas, when he shares with Jesus, you can see that, that he has the gospel. He, he, he basically preaches the gospel right there in his response to Jesus. He's got really good theology. They, they seem to actually have everything. But what don't they have? They, they don't have a personal word from Jesus. The, what's missing is that they need to meet Jesus. So why didn't Jesus identify himself right away? Why didn't he come up and just... Boom, I'm here. And I wonder if it's because Jesus knew if he did that, it would have circumvented what they needed. It would have, it would have completely changed the whole conversation. It would have completely changed them exploring anything that's going on inside of them. And there's something here that it reveals for us, is there's times when Jesus is going to allow us to experience difficult situations. He's going to allow us to actually sit in the midst of the unknown and not immediately reveal himself and re- or remove us from the circumstances. He may come and he may actually ask questions or allow us to process and ask questions, inviting us to explore what's, what's going on inside of me. And this is the thing here it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't present, folks. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there with you. Because what we see here 
And, and, and from the wider kind of post-resurrection story is we know that there's disappointment, there's sorrow, there's confusion that's present here. It's present in these two travelers. They're, they're wondering what's going on. It says there that they stood still, their faces downcast. So they're trying to make sense of the events. They're trying to make sense of, again, what is God doing? Because they had no grid for Jesus rising from the dead. What, what, what is God allowing? They're asking, where is Jesus? We, we heard that he may not be in the tomb anymore, but where is Jesus? Do, do we give ourselves permission to feel and experience what is happening inside of us? Because as much as anything, Jesus, when he spoke throughout the Gospels, he constantly went back to speaking about the condition of our hearts. Meaning our motives, our attitudes, our behaviors, our thoughts, our whole selves. What is going on inside of us? What is your human condition? Jesus constantly went back to that. And our world talks a lot about that as well now. But it's, but it's a very different vibe that our world talks about because we've removed God from the process. So we talk a lot about the human heart. We talk a lot about ourselves, about our desires and our passions that drive us. We talk a lot about this internal self-determination that we, what, what we want, what we feel. Do what's best for you. Be true to yourself. But what the world around us and what, what, we're, what we're not honest about is the degree to which we are obsessed with avoiding pain and sadness. Sure, let's talk about self-determination, but don't make me actually have to experience grief and sadness and pain. No, 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 I'll self-medicate instead. In contrast, stark contrast, Jesus invites you to embrace weakness and suffering. He actually will allow you at times to sit in it and to not know what's going on. Why? It says in his words that we would depend on his strength and his power to bring healing and wholeness. When I'm weak, he's strong. You know, when, when Jess and I got married, uh, I did not realize at the time the extent to which my family history and experiences had impacted me. I don't actually think I could have at that time in my life. At that age, I don't think I had the emotional maturity to understand everything that I had experienced. But it became apparent, put two people into a marriage, and it becomes very apparent very quickly that there's a lot of brokenness here. And that there was a lot of stuff in me that wasn't very good. And you know, it's interesting because we had several friends that got married all around the same time in a very uh, quick uh, amount of time. There's people, a lot of people that we knew that we all got married. And what was crazy was that within a very short period of time, less than a year, in some cases, half of those marriages blew up. Done. It, it shocked Jess and I. We still to this day talk about it. We, like, where you don't understand all that happened. But the thing is, Jess and I probably, most assuredly, I would say, would have ended up in the same place 
if it wasn't for people around us who spoke truth into our lives. And in that, I cannot say enough about the importance and the value of church community around you, coming around you, and you having people in your lives that you invite into your lives and say, I will be vulnerable with these people even if it makes me look really bad. Because I looked really bad. There was times where I, looked re- I was really exposed and it was either I keep hiding or I get this into the light. And, and, and I knew, I, I, like, I just knew the choice was so clear for me. It was either I'm going to avoid and bury my issues or I'm going to seek healing. And again, that's not like a, a quick process, right? This is, this is the sort of thing that can, it's ongoing in some respects. We receive healing in our lives, but then there's, there's stuff that the Lord is constantly doing in us. So I'm not, I'm not standing up here and going, I have this picture of perfection. All of you know I'm not. But as, as we pursue Jesus, we see more need for his healing. So Jesus asks questions. He invites us into this space of processing. Hey, what's going on? Where are we at? Jesus also brings correction. There's correction here. They, they, while they didn't see it yet, Jesus begins to kind of pull back the curtain a bit by pointing to Scripture. He, he begins, it says there in verse uh, 25, he begins to explain all that Scripture says of him. Although, what's crazy in it is that he doesn't, he doesn't identify himself still. He's still just explaining to them everything in Scripture that pointed to him. And, and it, along with it, he gives them a mild rebuke. He says, like, why were you blind to these things that were to take place? Like, Jesus suggests they should have seen this in Scripture, that this actually, that they should have believed and trusted that this is what had to happen. And again, it it brings up thought-provoking questions for us. Why why are we prone to misunderstand Scripture? We're all, we're all prone to misunderstand Scripture at times. Why, Why are we prone to minimize it? or to disregard it, or to just read Scripture through our own paradigms. We, we want it to say this. And so then it brings up questions like, are we willing and desirous to be teachable, to keep exploring Scripture, to keep allowing it to shape us and change our perspectives and views and to actually transform us? And so as Jesus reveals himself to them, the lines start to connect for them. It's, it's then, they, 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 after they realize that, that their hearts were being changed, they, after, they, they say, as, as he opened the scriptures to us, our hearts were burning within us, they say later. Like they, they began to go, oh, that's what Jesus was doing. It says later on, we'll read it yet, but um, when he was with some of the other disciples, he, it says he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So there is this thing of Jesus revealing himself to us through scripture. And Jesus brings correction to us so that we can see him with clarity. And so in all that, this, this isn't, I'm not just talking about good theology. I'm not talking about proper human hermeneutics. I'm not you know, I'm being careful not to proof text verses, meaning like read in what you want a verse to say or, or 
taking a verse out of context to basically make what you want it to say so that it fits your view. All that stuff's important. It is. It's really important that we, and deserves our attention. But we also just simply need to meet Jesus in Scripture. We need to see him in the pages of Scripture. And it remind, this reminds us too, profoundly reminds us There's power in Scripture, folks. There's power. These are not just words on a page. They have immense power to speak life and bring powerful transformation in our lives because they are the words of the risen Lord Jesus. They are the words of Him who was dead and came to life. They are powerful in themselves. It says in Romans 1.4 that this is the risen Lord Jesus who is a, the appointed Son of God by, in power by his resurrection from the dead. That's how Paul begins the book of Romans. So in the, the Hearing God course that we've, we've taught in LCF a few times over the years, some of you have taken it with us. Uh, we, in there, part of that course, we talk about the two Greek words that are translated word. In scripture, the, the logos and the rhema. And, and logos basically means what God has said. This, this is the word that is given to everyone, Genesis to Revelation, the Ten Commandments, the whole, the whole everything. It is the logos, the word of God. Interestingly, John 1, it, Jesus is referred to himself as the logos there three times. Jesus is the logos of God. So this is the word that stands for eternity. This is why we sing this morning in that song. The word is the answer for all generations. It will never be tainted. It will never be broken. We stand on it. It is the logos of God. But there's also another word that we use in Scripture called rhema, that's used called rhema, which speaks of specific words given to specific people at a specific time. Acts 17 would be, I think it's Acts 17, would be an example where Paul, in a dream, right, he's, he receives the specific word to go into Macedonia. It's, it's a specific rhema word for him from the Lord that's written in Scripture. Now, this whole thing of God speaking personally to us, and we see it all throughout Scripture, where God is speaking specifically, personally to people. At times, God does this for us as well, where we are reading the Logos word, we are reading the word of God, and it becomes a rhema word for us, where God opens up our eyes, he speaks something personally to us out of that word, and we know our hearts burn within us, and we know that it's a specific word for a specific time for us. Now, I, there's guardrails to all this, important guardrails, and we go into that in the course. Um, Lord willing, we'll teach it again, but you know, one of the main guardrails that we talk about, right, is, and we go into it, is that God will never speak words that contradict or change his, the word. We're not going to get personal words from God that somehow go against Scripture or begin to call Scripture into question. Then you go, whoa, whoa, whoa warning sign, big flashing lights, That's not a word from the Lord. But Scripture reveals over and over that God speaks personally to us as we are open to receive and hear. 
And so this can happen as we're reading scripture, can happen as we're inviting God to speak to us. It might happen as you're journaling and, and God is speaking something really specific to you. And again, our hearts burn within us. And all that to say, this is for everyone. This is absolutely for every single one of us here. It's Jesus' words, primarily in Scripture, but also personally, that awaken our hearts to the reality of his presence. And we need that. Third thing where, how we see encountering Jesus here is that Jesus invites us to respond. Uh, in verse 28 to 32 here, we're... I almost wanted to, to call this point and I kind of wrestled with it. Like Jesus waits for us to initiate almost, right? It, 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 there, he, he's, it says that he's about to go further. So he, he kind of like, he's not going to come in with these two that he's traveling with. He's going to go further. He's going to keep walking. And, and they have to initiate inviting him in. It, it sort of reminds us of Mark 6 where, where it talks there about how Jesus is walking on the water and with the disciples in the boat, and it says there in Mark 6 that he was about to pass them by. A little really interesting detail. But there's something about this here where these two that are traveling with Jesus had to invite him in to be with them. We have to invite Jesus in. There's, there's a level of engagement needed on our part. And so now in this, where they invite him in, we see this picture of relationship. Jesus is at the table with them. It's this picture that Jesus gave to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3 to speak of his desire for relationship with him. Or if you'll invite me in, I'll come and I'll, I'll sit and I'll eat with you. And so this picture of receiving Jesus and being in fellowship with him, it's, this, it's, it's part of the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. We, we want to be with him. We want to be with Jesus. We want to be like him. And, and I think one of the things that we see here, and this isn't the only place, but that Jesus isn't going to force himself into our lives. There's the invitation from Jesus, yes, because the Holy Spirit is the one that awakens us and brings us from death into life. But there's a responsibility on our part to come to to move towards Jesus, if you will, to, to show desire. And the Gospels reveal that, that being in a place of desire or desperation, longing for Jesus, it's actually a really good place to be. How, how many times in the Gospels do we see people who are in a desperate place longing to be with Jesus, longing to meet Jesus, longing for Jesus to come to them, and Jesus responds to that. Son of David, have mercy on me. How many times do we read that in the Gospels? And we have, in the, other, in the Gospels, we have in those accounts as people are longing to meet with Jesus. What do we have the people around them doing? Shh, shh, don't, don't, don't get too loud. Don't get too loud for Jesus. Don't get too crazy for Jesus. No, 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 no keep it down. We need Jesus. You know, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that includes this post-resurrection account 
of this conversation on the road to Emmaus. And, and I, man, I'm thankful <laughs> that it's recorded. Uh, it's vintage Luke in a sense, right? Because Luke in his gospel concerns himself a lot with the human condition. It was thought that Luke was probably a physician. There's just this care that he has for the human condition as a whole. And, and the thing is, we don't know the story here of Cleopas and whoever was with him. Maybe it was his wife, maybe it wasn't. But we don't, we don't know these two individuals and, and what was all going through. I mean, they're, they're walking. Yes, they're processing the grief and the shock and the disappointment of Jesus' death. And now the stories that maybe he's not in the tomb anymore, but we haven't seen him. I mean, we... Yes, they're processing that, but we don't know what else is going on with them. We, we have no other backstory. I'm pretty confident, though, I think you probably are as well, are we confident that Jesus' presence with them wasn't coincidental? That he didn't just happen to appear, oh, look, I, I'm on this road now, oh, look, don't think so, right? I think it was pretty specific, Jesus is coming to these two. Just think about that for a second, because we don't know these people. But he, for whatever reason, Jesus saw what they were walking through. He knew that they needed to see him. We, we know nothing about them. They weren't, these two, they weren't part of the big 11, right? They weren't part of the rich and the famous crowd. They weren't, they weren't anyone that we know of in the Roman Empire, well, who were they? And yet, Jesus comes to them. I, I guarantee you that you will never understand all that Jesus is doing. You will never understand all that Jesus is doing. We, we can't. We have no idea all that he's doing. None of us. But, but this is where the account of Scripture can fill us with such hope. Because is, is this the resurrected Jesus that we know him to be? It is, right? This is the resurrected Jesus that we know him to be. That, that when we doubt, when we can't make sense of what we're experiencing, this is who Jesus is. That, that's one of the, I think that's one of the reasons why it's put in Scripture for us. We know that this is who Jesus is. So that when he comes and we don't even see him and we're not aware he's there and we're going through this stuff and Jesus is there. He comes to be with us. He comes to us in our sorrow and our disillusionment and comes to us in our grief. He comes amidst the unknown and he comes to be with us. Verse 30, when, when they're sitting down and they're eating, it's the exact wording as Luke used in 2219 at the Last Supper. The, the exact wording. So again, that's the, Luke wants to, to see the connection here where he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And so Luke wants us to see here, it's this giving of himself sacrificially for, as when we see Jesus for who he really is. It's at that moment that their eyes are opened. He's the, we see he's the one that we need. And, and, and it, it reminds us, Jesus is the one that helps us to see. He opens up our eyes, our minds to see truth and reality. 
So there's this opening of the eyes as he broke the bread. I don't, we don't understand it, right? Somehow Jesus has some crazy supernatural power that he can come and he can keep us from recognizing him and in an instant he can awaken us to who he is. Whoa. <laughs> like, I read this story and I'm like, this is so cool. Uh, but this act that symbolizes the giving of his body for our redemption, it is the catalyst for sight. It's this thing of this physical reality that points to the spiritual reality. Jesus was offering himself to them. He's giving himself to them. And this is the invitation that we receive, to receive Jesus' sacrifice for us, to admit our need. It's, in, it's, it's this, I need salvation. I need healing. I, I need to receive all that Jesus is for me. And here's the thing, that, like, this meal that they were having here, it was profoundly ordinary. It, it wasn't some profound sacrament, sacramental type ritual that they were doing. It, it, it wasn't like they were coming and doing the sacrament and it was, no, no, it was just, they're, they're sitting down, they're eating, they're, they're breaking bread. And it, we see again, Jesus reveals himself to be with us in our everyday lives. I think it, it, it reminds us, we don't have to wait for the next big thing or the right environment, right, or the next whatever. I, I'm not saying that God doesn't use those things. He does. But the point is that we can have supernatural encounters with Jesus amidst the ordinary times of our lives. We don't have to wait for this or that or this event. It's all available. So when their eyes are opened, it's in that moment when then they realize and they go, oh, weren't our hearts burning within us when he spoke and revealed himself in scripture? You know, there's, there's this incredible verse in Ephesians 1. It's part of the prayer that Paul prays for the churches that he's writing to that reveals God's heart for us, where he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that, that it, they, our eyes of our hearts would be flooded with light, that we would know, Paul says, the hope to which we have been called to. Now, there's a lot to unpack when we speak of that hope that Paul's talking about there, that we've been called to, and, and, and he's really leading up to all that in the, the beginning of Ephesians 1. But it's speaking of everything that we have in Christ that desire that we, we sing of right in that song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open. Open my eyes of my heart where I am blind, where I am not seeing you, Jesus, with clarity. Open my eyes. We, wanna, we need to talk about one more really important part here in encountering Jesus. And I'm going to go on and read the next bit here and then we'll end on this last point. So verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, 
Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So, I want to talk here about Jesus reminds us what we need. Two, two hockey legends, I'm sure any of you who follow hockey, two hockey legends passed away this week. The same week, Mike Bossy, Guy Lafleur both passed away. And, um, you know, they, they were two players that, for a generation, they awed people with their skill. Right? They're just both phenomenal hockey players. But, like all of us, their bodies age, their bodies have broken down, and we realize that as much as we idolize them, that they're finite and mortal. This is one of the extraordinary aspects of the resurrection of Jesus. Think about this. Some of the people standing in that room saw Jesus crucified. They saw his beaten and battered body taken down from the cross. They saw that he was physically dead. And so if you're in their place and you see Jesus all of a sudden stand among you, why? I'm thinking I might be going too. Yeah, this might be a ghost. I don't know. I mean, I haven't believed in ghosts up to now, but maybe this is a ghost. And Jesus proceeds to speak peace to their troubled hearts. Right? They're like these other travelers. They're struggling with doubt. They're struggling with uncertainty the absence of peace. They're hearing these stories, the women at the tomb. They're hearing Peter and John, what they, what they saw at the tomb. They're, now they're hearing these two travelers and they're like, what? what's going on? And Jesus gives them peace and he speaks and opens their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. That's still true to this day, folks. So Jesus speaks of sending them what the Father has promised and We know from John's gospel that this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, he says at the beginning of Acts that this promise that Jesus talked about was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells them, wait for this. He's basically telling them, look, guys, you you cannot move forward without this. Don't try to move forward. Don't try to do it yourself. You need to wait. And that's what the book of Acts finds them, right in the upper room, praying, waiting. Jesus told us to wait. And Jesus reminds us what we need. 
So while Jesus, while he asks questions and he, he allows us to process, he invites us to respond, to take initiative, he also reminds us what we need. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit with us to guide us, to comfort us, to speak truth amidst peace amidst turmoil, sorry, to, to lead us into all truth, to reveal more of Jesus to us. That, that's, that's all with the role of the Holy Spirit. That's who he is, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit is God with us, dwelling in us, with us, and available at all times to all of us. How extraordinary is that? I just, just think about this, what Jesus says here. Wait, wait for this. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He's like, don't move forward without all of this. It's an amazing promise. Because in Jesus' absence, so he's gone, he's been killed, he's in, the, he's in the tomb, they don't know what's happening, but Jesus is absent. What immediately begins to grip and take hold of his followers? Fear, turmoil, confusion. It says they're troubled. The same is true for us. That's why Jesus knew, I have to send you the helper. I have to give you the Holy Spirit. You need him. Why? Because Jesus isn't physically with us, folks. It'd be great if right now Jesus was physically with us in this room and he showed up wonderful but he's not we need his spirit that's given to us now when we talk about the holy spirit can things get a little scary can things get a little weird can our norms be challenged when the holy spirit shows up yep all of that right the move the move of the spirit throughout history shows up in really unlikely places, like think about the Hebrides, and upsets the status quo. The Holy Spirit, when he shows up, he's not content to just let the status quo go. He's like, I'm here to move. And can the Holy Spirit be mishandled? Yes, he can. But this is what Michael Wilcock notes in his commentary on Luke. He says, movements of spiritual renewal have certainly recalled much of Christendom to a truth too easily forgotten, that unless the church possesses the promise of the Father, the miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit, it is nothing. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, he used to insist of, of all the lines that we draw, like in the Christian faith and denominational and all that, of all the lines that we draw, C.S. Lewis said, the one that we should probably be the most focused on is the line between those who are the supernaturalists and the ones who aren't. <laughs> That's really interesting that C.S. Lewis said that. Perhaps that's because of the mission that we have to carry the Father's heart to the world. Right? I wanna, like, let's not get caught up in like, we can go in all different directions now when we talk about the Holy Spirit. But what is our mission? What is the mission here? What's the mission that Jesus gives? It's that we would carry the Father's heart, that we would carry the message of Jesus to the world around us. 
And inasmuch as anything, the supernatural power and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is given to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. That's why he was poured out. Jesus' followers, they, they found themselves really unsure of what, to co- of what was to come. I mean, they, they, they were like, what, what now? What now? What do we do now? They're experiencing doubt, discouragement, right? All kinds of uncertainty, they're there. And I think at various times we find ourselves in similar places going, what now? And Jesus comes and he reminds us what we need and he reminds us of the mission, the power of his Holy Spirit poured out for us. Why? So that we can be his witnesses. So that you can witness to the risen Lord Jesus and what he's doing in your life. You know, I... I, uh, wasn't expecting to mention this, but uh, last night I, I was on a, a call, um, a Zoom call with Dallas, and I won't, won't mention his last name, because you know who I'm talking about, and, uh, and the mission. And he was just sharing about his recent trip uh, to Southeast Asia, and all that God had done there. It was incredible. And he, he talked about one, one um, an individual, a girl there, who's working out there, in one of the countries, she's actually taken up citizenship in the country. She hasn't, she has, she is, she's, refu- she's not leaving the country anymore. She has got, taken up citizenship. She's like, this is what Jesus is calling me to. I am going to be a citizen now here, and I'm going to reach these people with the gospel. And you know, the one thing I want to say about this, I was struck as I was listening to the reports and to, to the way that they engaged people there and, and the way that people are responding to the gospel, it's amazing. And I was reminded when we here in Landmark, Manitoba, in the Western world, when we talk about the power of the Spirit being poured out to be his witnesses, I think we need to be spurred on to be engaged with what's going on in the rest of the world. Maybe God is going to send some of us, Lord willing, into those places. And I don't, I don't want to just get so focused on our little universe here and our little Western culture that we miss what is going on in the rest of the world. And it's tremendous. And so I think our hearts need to burn with that. Maybe, maybe God, the Holy Spirit's going to start to burn our hearts of going, there's loads of opportunity right now. There's loads of opportunity right now. Talk to me after. I won't talk. I'm not going to put it online. Talk to me. There's tons of opportunity. We need to be stirred. So, are we embracing the mission? I guess is the question. Do we see the depth of spiritual renewal needed in our lives? Do we see the depth of spiritual renewal needed in the church and all around us? And I mean the world. Where do you long to encounter Jesus in your life? Where do you have great need for Jesus to come and meet you? Where do you need to invite Jesus into specific situations in your life? So I want to leave us. I've got five application questions here.
for us just to, again, go away with if you want to spend some time with the Lord, journaling, asking these questions. Again, allowing the Lord to speak to our hearts and allowing ourselves to process what's going on inside of me. Right? Are there areas of my life that Jesus is allowing me to experience to deepen my dependence on him? Are there situations in my life where I assume Jesus is absent when he's actually present? Where is Jesus waiting for me to respond and invite him in? What is holding me back? Where do I need more of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in me? And the fifth question is, am I praying for spiritual renewal in my life and in my family? Let's pray together. Jen, if you want to come up. Jesus, there's, there's so much to, to process and to ponder from the accounts of, of you meeting with your disciples and with your followers. And Lord, you were, you were revealing and doing so much in their hearts. And we have the same need today, right now, right here, Jesus. We have needs in our hearts. We have needs in our lives and we are looking to you and we are we might be in places where we're not sure what you're doing or where we're, we're really struggling through things or we're, we're just processing different things. And Jesus, we're asking that you would come to us and that you would engage us. And Lord, we want to engage our hearts with you. And so God, I pray that this week that you would speak to us, that you'd be working in our hearts and in our minds. And Holy Spirit, we invite you and your presence into our lives this week as well. Jesus, would you release and give us more of your spirit this week?